afford anything, but not everything. Every decision that you make is a trade-off against something else, and that doesn't just apply to your money. It applies to your time, your focus, your energy, your attention. It applies to anything in your life that's a scarce or limited resource. Any resource that you need to manage, how do you manage it well? That is quite literally the million-dollar question, and that's what this podcast is here to explore. My name is Paula Pant. I'm the host of the Afford Anything podcast and the founder of affordanything.com. Today, Clark Howard joins us to talk about why he loves the financial independence retire early movement, the FIRE movement. Clark Howard is also one of the most famous names in personal finance. He has published 10 books, many of which are New York Times bestsellers. His book, Living Large in Lean Times, hit number one on the New York Times bestseller list. His website gets more than 50 million views a year. He's the former co-host of Evening Express on CNN Headline News, now called HLN, and he was also the host of a weekend show on HLN. But of course, I'm leaving out the thing that he is perhaps most famous for, which is that he hosts a syndicated radio show. It's called The Clark Howard Show, and it airs in hundreds of radio markets across the nation. This is Clark's second time on this podcast. He was a guest in episode 47, which we'll link to in the show notes, and in that episode, he shared his fascinating backstory— he began investing in real estate at age 22, he started his own company at age 25, and he sold his company, which was a travel agency, and retired at the age of 31. So Clark reached fire before it was called fire. He reached fire when he was 31 years old. He sold his company, he moved to the beach in Florida, and for about four years, he did very little. He enjoyed that stereotypical retirement of hanging out on the beach doing not very much. He shares that story in episode 47. So go listen to that if you want to hear the details about his backstory. But of course, after four years of hanging out on the beach, he came out of retirement and he started his second career as a radio host and best-selling author. What's amazing about him is that he walks the talk and he has become very successful, very wealthy, while leading with a service-oriented heart. During Hurricane Katrina, he volunteered with a team that did medical evacuations. And after September 11th, he joined the Georgia State Defense Force, which is an unpaid, unarmed volunteer component of the State Department of Defense. He has sponsored the construction of 74 houses through Habitat for Humanity and sponsored a program that gives toys to low-income children. He's helped more than 150,000 children get toys at Christmas time. So he is really a, a perfect example of life after reaching fire. And in this episode, he's going to talk to us about what he loves about fire and what advice he would give to people who are interested in pursuing it. So here is Clark Howard. Hey, Clark. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you? Wonderful. It's so great to visit with you again. Thank you so much. I enjoyed the first time that you were on the show, which was about two years ago. And so I'm really glad that you're back. Well, I was. we were in San Diego. I love that town. And it's supposed to be sunny there all the time. And it rained the whole week we were there. Now, I want my refund. That was just <laughs> not right. But I did get to go to In-N-Out Burger three times <laughs> while we were in San Diego. I hope you're not a vegetarian. Remember, I saw you at In-N-Out Burger. I ran that's into right, you on one of right. those three times. Yeah, because you were in an Uber or Lyft and I was doing Uber pool. And yeah, I remember. Clark, I suppose I should start this by asking you the question that I have inadvertently become well known for asking, which is, have you heard of the FIRE movement? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Financial independence, retire early. I love it. 
I think it's a great thing to motivate people. And it speaks to so many people in a way that that really never has to a large group of individuals. Let's talk about that for a while, because I loved what you said on your show after some of the drama of the past few weeks, where you said it was hard for you to understand how anyone could object to the notion of saving a large percentage of your income if you're able to do so. Yeah, it blew my mind because if you look at other cultures, particularly in Asia, it's very common that people save a third of what they make, 50% of what they make. There's not government support for people who hit hard times in a lot of Asia. And so it's just built into the culture that you know for every equivalent of dollar you earn that you need to save 30 cents, 40 cents, 50 cents, and people just live that way. We're different. You know, the average American saves like three cents of each dollar they make. And that frustrates me no end. I want us to take more personal responsibility for our own financial well-being. Why do you think that the FIRE movement has motivated people to do that, given how, I mean, you've been trying to encourage people to save for decades it's always been an uphill battle. What is it about the FIRE movement that resonates with people and that motivates that savings? Well, I think it has to do with what happened last decade. The mm-hmm. banking scandals that led to the Great Recession, that led to so much hardship for so many people, people losing their homes, having their cars repossessed, extended periods of unemployment. I think a lot of people, particularly those that were teenagers seeing this happen to their parent, things like that affect you for the rest of your life. I think a lot of people learn from the Great Recession that a reset was in order. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who don't want to be vulnerable that they're one paycheck away from extreme poverty. And so it's it's certainly not every American is making this pivot. Mm -hmm. But it's exciting to me to see people out of what was a terrible time in American history and so much hardship on so many people that there are those that came out of that saying, you know what, I'm going to live a different life. I'm not going to live an insecure life. I'm going to be in charge of my life and I'm not going to have to spend my whole adult life working for the man. Mm -hmm. That's an expression, by the way. I've heard that recently. I recently became acquainted with that idea that it's the combination of the Great Recession followed by the ensuing bull market that has enabled the fire movement. Now, in your answer, you mentioned the Great Recession. Do you think that the bull run that we've had for the last nine years has has also fueled this? Only in part, because if you think about what I said with uh, most Americans save only three cents of each dollar they make. It doesn't matter how much the market goes up if you're putting no money aside to grow. It's also true that people may be being a little unrealistic based on the fact that the stock market has quadrupled since 2009, Mm -hmm. that they think, oh, I'm just going to put this money aside. I'm going to extrapolate that I'm going to have these same kind of earnings for years to come. The easy earnings in the market are over for now. Mm -hmm. And so it goes back to the core that it's living on less than what you make is what creates financial independence. That investing is part of the picture, but it's not what creates the wealth alone. It's that you 
set out to live on every other paycheck or that you're going to save uh, 30% of what you make or 40% or whatever number. It's got to be a, a pretty big number if you want to create financial independence at an early age. But the magic of living systematically on less than what you make mm -hmm. is at the core of what creates success because it means even when you're not working anymore, accumulating that wealth, you need much less money to live on because you're living a more conservative lifestyle, a lower voltage, lower cost lifestyle. Is there risk, quote unquote, risk associated with that, the risk of living more frugally than you otherwise would have to? Uh, that's one of the criticisms that I hear of the FIRE movement is, are you going to reach your 60s and regret all the spending that you didn't do? I don't know anybody who's made happy by the possessions they have. But if you miss a lot of experiences that you would enjoy, maybe you've been too cheap with yourself. Mm -hmm. Because really, experiences over our lifetime are what we treasure, what we hold on to. You look at when people post their artificial version of their lives on Instagram or other social media. It's always experiences they're doing. Nobody's taking a picture of the new TV they bought and say, look what I got. You know, <laughs> what they're doing is look at this cool place I'm at, uh, look at this trip I'm on, whatever. It is experiences and time with people that creates the joy in our lives. And I don't want you to live, like sometimes I'll talk to somebody who's being so extreme with their frugality. I'll stop them and I'll say, are you allowing anything in your budget for you to have joy in your life? And I'm usually met with dead silence mm. because that's something that is a way it's not normally thought about by people or presented to them, that if everything is about sacrifice with no specific goal in mind that gives you joy along the way and joy at the end, that the, the goal is to create the financial independence so you can make the choices in your life you want to make. It has to be about more than just, well, I'm, I'm sacrificing. Why are you sacrificing? Well, because I'm sacrificing. There's <laughs> got to be a real purpose in mind that makes it worth doing. That. Mm. During the now infamous Susie Orman interview. <laughs> <laughs> she lives in New York, you know. Her expectations are different about how many zeros you have to have, you know? <laughs> that was painful when I read her quotes to you, I got to tell you. And I've known Susie for a long time, and it was like fingers on a chalkboard when I was reading those quotes. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was shocking to hear. <laughs> One of the comments that she made, she kept citing her age. She was, she's 67 years of age. And she kept citing that as a form of credibility, stating that she understands things that somebody like me in my 30s doesn't about the nature of spending, especially as you get older. Uh, Clark, sure. Clark, how old are you? I'm 63. 63. Okay, so please enlighten us, if you will. How do we, especially those of us who are interested in financial independence or extreme early retirement, how should we be thinking about our 60s? Okay. So, you know, I retired the first time when I was 31. Mm -hmm. And I had been very fortunate to do that. And in my era, 
we called the equivalent of what the fire movement is, we called it being a Max Saver. A didn't what? have a fancy. A Max? Max, M-A-X, mm. Saver. A Max And so I was a Max Saver from when I was uh, 21. I lived on every other paycheck. And I was in a position to be able to retire at 31. I moved to the beach because I'm a water baby. I just had to be at the beach. And I loved that. But it was it was my choice to go back to work. Mm-hmm. And I work because I want to. That's the beauty of the fire movement. Susie was really focusing on, so you're going to save all this money, and then you think you're going to bag life at 32, and you're just going to uh, do whatever the rest of your life. The kind of person who's motivated to save, 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 Mm-hmm. to create financial independence. It's about having the freedom to make the choices you want to make in life. It's not necessarily, although for a small number of people it may be, that they're going to bag work at 32 or 34, 41, and never work again. That's usually not. Somebody who's industrious enough, that they saved enough, that they were able to create the independence financially, that's really what it's about. And retire has all different definitions. So it may mm-hmm. be that uh, maybe you were working in a corporate America job and you were saving money like crazy. And what you really want to do and what you really love is Pilates. And you'd like to mm-hmm. be a Pilates instructor. And you never could have made the money being a Pilates instructor. You could in corporate America. But because you saved so much and created financial independence, you bagged the corporate job. And you go teach Pilates or Mm. whatever it is. And so the money is not the central goal. The money is creating the independence to do what you love as an avocation and potentially as a vocation. Do you think it would be accurate if in the fire context, retirement was sort of another word for a well-funded career change? Or does it go beyond that? I think it's fine to call it fire because mm-hmm. there are people who, I mean, I, I consider myself to have been retired once, even mm-hmm. though I worked, I, I retired and I goofed off and I didn't really work in any significant way for four years after I retired. Mm-hmm. And I went back to work because it was fun to work. And when it's not fun anymore, I won't work. And so after not really working for four years, I only worked because I wanted to. And to this mm-hmm. moment, 63 years old, I work a lot, but I only do work that brings me joy. And any money from it is just almost irrelevant because mm-hmm. I created the financial independence when I was so young that I really never had to work. So when you talk about fire, and you're looking at it from the Susie Orman prism that, yeah, this financial independence part, okay, but the whole thing of retire early, that's bogus. It's not bogus because maybe in the way Susie was looking at it, it made sense to her. But to me, retire early means that you created freedom for yourself and you created the ability to do what you wish with your life. And whatever that will be, one of the issues is health. And at 67 for Susie, 63 for me, 
that's an issue. How do you handle health if you retire really early? And that's mm-hmm. something that in our American system, we don't have well thought out how people provide for their health, how they do insurance and all that. So that is a question mark, how you do it. I have cancer. I was diagnosed almost 10 years ago. I'm, in many ways, historically, I would be uninsurable. So that is a factor that I have to deal with. But it doesn't negate the fact that I created independence in my life. And I work doing what I love. And if I don't want to work, I won't work either. Tell me about how you how you handled that and how you recommended people handle that. You you had cancer. If that was 10 years ago, that was before Obama health care. insurance had the yeah, yeah the pre-existing right. condition. So I was 53 and mm-hmm. with my radio show, I've always been able to get benefits through one of the big radio companies. Mm. So I ended up with something that with cancer I was not having to worry about how I was going to be insured. And looking Mm -hmm. forward, you know, we may have an issue with pre-existing conditions, people being covered for those. There's so many uncertainties in life. You can't account for every possibility and Mm -hmm. don't allow worry about how you're going to get health coverage or something like that to keep you from the goal and the target. The target is to create breathing space in your life, to create financial independence. And to do that, if you've really come into the whole idea of the FIRE movement based on the run-up in stock, I want you to really step back from that and know that you've got to do the hard work. It's got to be about you saving a huge amount of what you make, and you cannot count on stock market gains being what's going to fund that financial independence or the ability to retire early. It's got to be habit built on you living a more frugal life and living on substantially less than what you make. And the power you get out of that is huge. When you Mm. create the freedom in your life to save enormous sums of money, it creates freedom from fear. Let's say you're working in a place where people are facing layoffs. There are rumors of layoffs, even in a strong economy. People get Mm -hmm. laid off all the time. If you have been saving a huge amount of money, you're not afraid about where you're going to make that rent payment from or pay that mortgage or make a car payment or whatever, because you have been living your life where you're living in a way that you're not creating financial insecurity. So do you see FIRE as the next progression as you move from financial insecurity to stability and then to freedom? Yeah, whatever you call it, and I love the coin phrase fire because it's so easy for people Mm -hmm. to grasp that the the idea of the goal is not easy to achieve. It's like for people that are overweight and aren't exercising, you know, that taking on that dual thing of starting an exercise program, watching what you eat, losing weight, getting to where you got healthy blood pressure and all that. Those things aren't easy, and this isn't either, but the results are so valuable, and that's why I encourage you, even if you start to try to live a more frugal life and you fail once, you try again, you fail twice, you stay at it, because lowering the anxiety 
and financial pressure in your life. I can't even put a price on it or a value on it. It's so great for your mental well-being and even your physical well-being. So many people report enormous layers of anxiety when they owe people money that you eliminate (laughs) when you don't owe anybody any money. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know I despise debt. I don't carry any debt of any kind, and it has served me so well all through the decades. Absolutely. I love your story. The first time that you came on the show, we we talked quite a bit about your personal story, how you started a travel agency when you were 25 and sold it by the time you were 31, and that was what allowed you to retire early. Um, would you Would you recommend that that somebody who wanted to reach financial independence or become FIRE, would you recommend that they also take an entrepreneurial route the way that you did? Most of us are not wired to be entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. But if you are an entrepreneurial personality, you have to take a lot of risk. But you also have to love running your own business. And I do love that. It's just core to who I am. And there is no one path to creating that breathing space in your life that will ultimately lead to financial independence. I just got lucky because I was hitting all the check marks without even realizing it and hit a point by 31 where I was on easy street forever. I mean, how great is that? And so Mm -hmm. everything worked for me. But for each individual, they'll have to find their own path. But the core is regardless of how you want to get it done, no matter what tricks you hear, no matter what methods other people use, the core is always, always, you have to live on less than what you make. Hmm. I mean, I I have a relative, I'm not going to say which one, but I have a relative (laughs) who's always looking for the quick score. The kind of person who always thinks that some new fad some new thing is what's going to lead to incredible wealth. The reality is there's not going to be the quick score. It's not going to go being about going to buy a lottery ticket to win a huge pot of money. It's all about what's in our heads, what's in our heart, and our relationship with money. I know talking about relationship of money is kind of touchy-feely, But Mm -hmm. there is a relationship with money. And I have a son who's 11. I'm sorry, who's 13. Oh, he would kill me. and I just gave his wrong age. (laughs) But my 13-year-old son is one of those people who spent every dollar that's ever going to exist in his life before he's made. He's just a spender. And I don't know if there will be something at some point that will trigger a change in that personality but it's up to him. You know, he knows my deal. He knows how I am about money. He's very different. And it will be up to him at some point to realize, if he will, that it's up to him to not have so much want-itis and learn that the eye should be on the prize. And the prize is financial independence, not what you can possess. If, if he was sitting here with me, he's really self-aware. He'd say, yeah, I just don't know how to stop myself. I just want this and I want that and I want the other. 
Every time he makes money, he spends it. <laughs> so then what would you tell him or anybody listening who's in their 20s or 30s or 40s who's like him, who, who maybe wants to, wants to want less, wants to be less of a spender? How do you mentally make that transition? Well, it's the reason why I said losing weight or eating better are two things that almost all of us know we should do, but we just can't seem to bring ourselves to do. Mm -hmm. People know that they would like to not feel financial pressure, but you have to want that financial independence enough that you're willing to start making changes in your life. And I think it starts with someone who's a real spender and mm -hmm. they're far from what we're talking about. It starts with putting money aside automatically every pay period mm -hmm. if you work at a company that has some kind of retirement plan and if they don't that you automatically are putting money every pay period or at least every month into a Roth IRA that it starts with changing your habits building your habits to where you learn in step by step how to save instead of how to spend Pretty dull stuff, actually, to get somebody. <laughs> no, it really, it is dull. If somebody is a spendaholic, you start with little baby steps to get them to piece by piece pull back from being a spendaholic. The health analogy is very fitting because it often happens one meal at a time, one snack at a time. Exactly. And you didn't uh, know me then. And you probably don't know this, but I used to weigh substantially more than I do now. I weighed 40 pounds more than I do now. Hmm. I'm, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm 175 pounds now. I'm 5 feet 11. More than 10 years ago, I was 250 pounds, 15 pounds, 215. And I was 6 feet. I've shrunk an inch over the <laughs> more than decade, but I've shrunk in pounds by 40 pounds. And I did it slow and steady. And I did it by going to tight counting of calories. A lot of dietitians hate the whole calorie counting thing, but mm -hmm. I started counting calories and I weigh myself every single day of my life. So even though I've been at a good weight for a, more than a decade now, I still weigh every single day. Today I was 175.4 pounds. Don't forget the point four. <laughs> and so for those of us who have a tendency to go one direction when we'd really like to move our life another direction, it really requires kind of like setting up rules for ourselves. And don't try to do too much at once, but take on one goal after another, micro goals, I guess you could call them, so that ultimately you get to where you're achieving the goal you really want. For me, it was to be much more fit because I love athletics and to be able to engage in those a lot more and to generally be healthier and like what I looked at in the mirror. For other people, let's say it involves the stuff we're talking about with money. If you are in a place where you're kind of shaming yourself about how you handle money, try to take on little teeny changes that are measurable and move those along. 
because you can't go from where you're a spendaholic to where suddenly you're financially independent. Right. It requires a lot of small steps along the way. And changes. You have to be flexible, particularly if you want to be part of the FIRE movement. How you're going to achieve success may change over time. You know, people who during the real estate bust last decade had the guts to start acquiring rental property. A lot of those people who had lived on less than what they make, had money available when bank loans weren't really available, bought properties, have seen enormous increases in wealth since. So you build the, the base with the money you save that then makes the opportunities you can seize on available to you. And those opportunities change over time. Right. That's exactly what I did. And that was what set me up for having a very good life in my 30s. Isn't it great? You accomplished so much in your 20s that now created the opportunity for you to teach others and to live the life you want to. And you can do that for the rest of your life because you built the fundamental up front. We'll come back to this episode after this word from our sponsors. Do you want to cook more meals at home and eat at restaurants less often? Check out Blue Apron. Here's how it works. Step one, you choose from their chef-designed recipes. Step two, they deliver fresh, seasonally inspired ingredients, perfectly portioned ingredients, directly to your door so that you can skip the meal planning and get straight to the cooking. And then step three, that's exactly what happens. You cook these great meals in as little as 20 minutes so you can get rid of your grocery list, let Blue Apron do the meal prep for you, and choose your recipes based on your schedule. One of the things that I like about them is that they have a range of both internationally inspired dishes as well as lots of vegetarian options to choose from. So you're not just stuck with one certain type of meal. You get a bunch of variety. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free at blueapron.com afford. That's blueapron.com afford to get your first three meals free. Blueapron.com afford. Blue Apron. A better way to cook. Hello to anyone out there who is an entrepreneur or who runs a business. If you sell physical products online, as you probably know, getting your orders out the door quickly can be tough. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's a fast, easy way to manage and ship your orders all from one place. And the thing that I think is totally brilliant about it is that it gives you access to incredible discounts, the types of discounts that big, big companies get. You as a small business owner can also get those discounts. So here's how it works. ShipStation helps you get your orders out quickly, whether you're selling on your own website or Shopify or Squarespace or big commerce or over 75 other popular selling channels, what ShipStation does is they bring your orders into one simple interface that you can manage from any device, and then you can use them to create shipping labels for top carriers like UPS, FedEx, USPS, and you'll get access to those best rates available. Right now, you can try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free, only if you use my promo code PAULA. Don't wait. Go to ShipStation.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in PAULA. That's ShipStation.com, S-H-I-P Station.com. Enter PAULA. ShipStation. Make ship happen. 
One of the points that Susie brought up is that there are often extreme black swan, I shouldn't say there are often extreme black swan events, by definition, they don't happen often, but there could be extreme black swan events, a permanent disability, or a loved one who suffers a very prolonged terminal illness that requires round-the-clock care. How does a person, really any person, whether they're fire or not, how does a person prepare for those types of events, financially speaking? Well, you know, life always throws curveballs. Mm -hmm. And so you said fire or not. I want to address it both ways, because if you're part of the fire movement and you're living on less than what you make, you've created more space in your life to be able to deal with an emergency that would happen, let's say, in a family or with a loved one. And you're called upon to be the one to pitch in and help, or you are the one able to pitch in or help because you've been on this path towards financial independence. But as part of that, I like for you to make sure you have proper insurance of various types. And having proper insurance is something that is so overlooked and does not generally take a lot of resources away. And that's whether you're working or you're not. Some of the insurance products are harder for you to be able to claim against if you have fully, completely retired. As an example, disability insurance. But often it's not your own disability. It's the disability of someone else where you're stepping in to help. In most cases where somebody has to deal with a tragic circumstance going on or an emergency, a health emergency or whatever, they're already living on fumes. And it's an event that is catastrophic financially in addition to dealing with the human aspect of it. So having built financial space in your life and going on a path towards financial independence really does help with the unexpected event. What types of insurance do you think a person should take out? You mentioned long-term disability. Do you think also long-term care? Long-term care is something that I punt for someone's life till they're in their late 50s or early 60s. Because there's so much life between where most of us are age-wise and the point where it becomes really a priority to worry about long-term care. If there are others that depend on you, having term life insurance is a high priority. Very few people have it. And if you're in a relationship with a significant other, you're married, whatever, you've got to have a will. So many people die without a will. And so many people now live together without being married to their partner. If you don't have a will that person gets squeezed out and squeezed out hard. And so family that someone may not even like gets their stuff instead of the person they've devoted their lives to. So there are simple check marks of things that aren't hard to do, don't take a lot of money, don't take a lot of time, but let's face it, are kind of boring. But taking care of those boring items can be essential 
at certain moments of your life. One other thing I'll mention, and I hate to mention this one too, but I got to, is making sure you have a healthcare directive, especially mm-hmm. if you live your life with someone you're not married to. You want that individual to be your messenger and be the representative who's there to carry out your wishes. And these forms are generally state-specific, usually official forms. You just Google Advanced Healthcare Directive with your state name attached, and you'll take care of that person or have them take care of you in a way they can't otherwise if you haven't done that simple paperwork first. Right. Absolutely. My parents... That's, that's pretty dull stuff, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's the stuff that, in hindsight, you're glad you've done. And you started... I stepped over you. You were starting to say something about your parents. Oh, just that my parents actually uh, recently sat me down and showed me their medical directives and gave me all of the instructions for what they would want me to do in the event that they couldn't make decisions for themselves. My mom, when she was alive... I sat down with her while she did her form, and I didn't know what my mom really wanted. And every question that had to do about keeping her alive, she was like, no, 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 (laughs) no. And that was great because I knew what she wanted. I didn't have to be a mind reader. Right. And then you don't have to second guess that. Right. I'll tell you something very personal. My mom had a massive heart attack when I was out of the country. I was her representative on her forms, and none of my siblings would pull the plug on my mom who had an irreversible, I mean, she was done. She was brain dead. So we arranged a phone call, and I did this satellite call with the doctor, and he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to execute my mom's wishes, which is to discontinue all care. And he kind of nervously laughed, and he said, that's what your two brothers and your sister said you'd say. So that's what we'll do. Because she had that healthcare directive, it was clear what I was supposed to do. And I carried out her wishes exactly as she said. Wow. Did that inspire your, your siblings to set up healthcare directives of their own? I have no idea. We haven't <laughs> talked about that since that day, especially since two of them wanted to keep doing all kinds of interventions. It was best that we not address that topic anymore because they were a little sore at me for doing what she wanted. But at least it was written so that you could point to what was written down and say, hey, this is, this is what she said. Oh, they had it. They had it oh. there. They still, still, I would say it since I was her, uh, her appointed messenger. So I would say it. They weren't going to do any. Hmm. That's why doing these things, because the dynamics of family never cease to surprise us when we get into a situation. You never know in a good situation or a bad situation. Think about when we're with people at Thanksgiving or Christmas and they behave in unusual ways. You know, you mm-hmm. never can underestimate how weird people are going to behave in a good circumstance or a crisis. And that's why making these decisions for yourself is so key. Are there any other issues the Susie interview brought to light that perhaps the fire community may not have spent enough time thinking about issues like long-term care, long-term disability, wills, trusts, advanced health care directives. Are there any other issues that people commonly overlook when they're thinking about 
managing their money in their life. Okay, this is going to sound so weird. People who are trying to adopt a lifestyle where they can move towards fire, Mm -hmm. I don't want them to get shut down by any of these details we just talked about. Don't worry so much about the what if. Of course, the things we just talked about are things somebody should do, but it's not the heart and soul of what the FIRE movement is about. It's about creating by your choices the ability for you to be financially independent. And so that's where I want your energy, your brain power, and your effort to go is towards the idea of living on substantially less than what you make so that you create the opportunity to then have to worry about all the paperwork kind of things we were talking about. Exactly. And that paperwork is a lot easier to deal with when you don't have to iron a shirt and then commute to work. 100% correct. The goal is to create the freedom in your life. And that's where the effort and energy have got to go. And let me tell you something. When I was in my 20s and right out of grad school, when I started living on every other paycheck, when I was 21 or 22, and then I used that money to start my own business when I was 25, and I knew my goal was to retire by the time I was 30, and I missed it, and I did it at 31. I wasn't thinking about, well, i got to make sure I have proper life insurance, or uh, I haven't done a will yet. I was only focused on the first part, and that's where you should be focused, and that is, What is your plan to live on less than what you make? How are you going to execute that? And the rest of the stuff will take care of itself when you get to a stage in your life that you've created that financial independence. And how did you do it? What were some of the key steps that you took that allowed you to live on substantially less than what you made? When you're a college student, you live on very little. Mm -hmm. And so when I finished college, and I was earning then a decent check out of grad school, it didn't require a lot for me to live on every other paycheck because I'd been living on very little. I mean, part of the time I was in college, my dad was unemployed. We didn't have microwaves, but I lived on a lot of canned food, and I lived an extremely frugal life. So I was already of that mindset, and I was already comfortable with that, And so I didn't ramp up my lifestyle when I finished school and was working in my first career type job. That's really where the inflection point is. When you start working, it's pretty easy to amp up your lifestyle to whatever your paycheck is. If you catch somebody early enough with the idea of living a financially independent life, Doing it before you amp up lifestyle is when it's ultra easy to do what I did. We'll come back to this episode in just a minute. But first... 
freelancers and small business owners. Are you dealing with end of the year bookkeeping stuff like trying to generate profit and loss statements and trying to figure out tax stuff and worried about the fact that tax season is going to start next year and April is going to come up before we know it? There's a good chance that you're trying to dig your way out from under a pile of receipts and spreadsheets. So please do yourself a favor. Check out FreshBooks cloud accounting software. Not only will it save you a ton of time and stress, it might actually change the way you feel about dealing with taxes and bookkeeping. So if you need to pull together a profit and loss summary for the 2018 calendar year, guess what? FreshBooks can generate this report in seconds instead of the hours that it would take you to do it manually. And you can set up FreshBooks to import expenses directly from your bank accounts, which means next time that you use your debit card for a meal or a tank of gas, boom, the purchase is recorded instantly. Right now, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial for my listeners. To claim it, go to freshbooks.com slash Paula. And when they ask, how did you hear about us? Type in afford anything. Again, for 30 days, free trial unrestricted, type in freshbooks.com slash Paula. And when they ask how you heard about them, mention afford anything. Freshbooks.com slash Paula. Do you end up not wearing some of the clothes you buy because it just doesn't fit right and you mean to take it back to the store, but then you never get around to it. So then you're stuck with stuff that you paid for, but that you don't wear. Yeah, me too. That sucks. So take the stress out of getting dressed by checking out Latote. Latote takes your measurements and ratings and it learns not just your size, but the nuances of how you like your clothes to fit. You know, women return between 40 to 70% of the clothing they buy, and Latote created their own universal sizing system to fit you across brands. Because the thing is, well, I find that online shopping is really frustrating because I can't try things on and I don't know how things are going to look and brand sizing is all over the place and a particular size is not the same in all brands. So it's not just as simple as saying I'm a size X because that's going to be different no matter what brand I'm looking at. And so what I like about Lato is that they measure pieces by brand with their fit and seamstress teams to match to universal and your specific sizing. So with Lato, you can run unlimited fashion, just wear, return and discover fashion that fits you better. It'll take the stress out of getting dressed. Go to Latote.com, that's L-E-T-O-T-E.com to get started. Enter promo code Paula at checkout to get 20% off of your first month. Again, that's Latote.com. Enter your code Paula, L-E-T-O-T-E.com. Enter code Paula to get 20% off your first month. Under what circumstances or under what decision-making matrix does some degree of lifestyle inflation become justified? Because certainly you don't still live like a college student. So how did you decide to make those incremental increases to your lifestyle? This is going to start to make me sound a little irrelevant, but I will lay it out for you. Mm -hmm. I have managed to build up enough money over the decades that we live a very luxurious lifestyle today. We live in a very high-end home that we own for cash. We have a vacation home on the ocean we own for cash. We travel as we wish. What I was able to do is, as I built up wealth, it meant that as long as it didn't involve going into debt, we had the freedom to live with more and more luxury, if you will. Mm -hmm. But I'm still, in so many ways, 
the same person I was then. I don't like to pay for parking. When I'm traveling somewhere and I don't have a rental car, I travel Uber Express Pool or Lyft Line where I'm sharing rides with other people because I don't want to spend the money. I was in New York working last week and I was on expense account doing television in New York. I rode the subway when I could have ridden in a, you know, a black car or whatever, because wasting money just doesn't make sense to me. I mm-hmm. get excited when I go to Dollar Tree. I use coupon. So a lot of me is wired just as it always has been. But remember I said at the very beginning, you have to have a goal. What are you trying to achieve? And when I retired, I moved immediately to the beach because that was what I wanted. And I've lived at the beach full-time or part-time for the last 32 years. Because that was what, for me, was the goal I wanted. So it's not about living a life of frugality forever. It's about living a life that affords you the choices you want through your entire lifetime. That's perfect. Clark, is there anything that I haven't asked that you would like to emphasize? Any final messages that you want to share with the audience? No, but isn't it funny that I ended at the same class envy thing? that Susie Orman was at. <laughs> you know, but she's 67, I'm 63. And we've achieved that where we could live that independent lifestyle. So I hope it made me uh, not less relatable. <laughs> oh, there's a big difference between buying a couple homes in cash while because you've thought very critically about what are your highest priorities and values and what would really allow you to enjoy your life. What you've done is you've identified what's important to you, you spend your money there, and then you also identify what's not important to you, and you don't spend money there. So even on an expense account, you'll ride the subway. As we covered at the beginning of this interview, when we were in San Diego, you went to In-N-Out Burger three times, where you easily had the money to go to some fancy Southern California restaurant, but you prefer In-N-Out Burger. Why wouldn't you eat there? Exactly. And we're, we're flying to California tomorrow, a five-hour, 15-minute flight. Mm-hmm. And we're going on Southwest because it was the cheapest. And mm-hmm. I'll line up in the A, B, and C group like anybody else. And that, to me, is the smart way to spend money because I'll buy something that has long-term value. And I, I will spend more money for it. And I'll invest, but I won't spend on normal lifestyle, normal thing. And people will come up to me all the time. It's so funny. I would tell you probably two out of every three flights I go on, somebody comes up to me and says, I can't believe you're sitting here in coach. <laughs> and, I, and I always give pretty much the same response. I can't believe you don't know me well enough to know that I would be sitting in coach. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I remember, Clark, when we met in San Diego, one vivid memory that I have of you was you had your, your merchandise like hats or uh, various other items with the Clark Howard logo on it. And I remember at the end of the conference, you gathered up the stuff that hadn't been taken and you personally did this. You personally gathered the stuff that hadn't been taken and repacked it so that it wouldn't get thrown away. It wouldn't go to waste. 
so true. That is a true story. <laughs> and we handed out those hats that we had not given out at the conference. We handed them out at so many different events. That way, we were able to spread the word so many other ways instead of looking at it as disposable money. My money is never disposable. Right, <laughs> right. And that it was such a perfect example of the way that you walk the talk. I mean, the monetary value of those hats that you gathered up, I, I imagine couldn't have been more than $30, maybe 50 at the most. But Oh, the- no, they were sadly more money than that. <laughs> okay. Well, even if it was 200 or 300, depending on the, you know, the number of hats that were remaining, you weren't going to just let that go to waste. Oh, and by the way, if they had been only 20 or $30 worth of hats, I still would have collected them and brought them back. Exactly. So a lot of people think that this is a shtick. It's not. I mean, it's who I am to my core. Oh, yeah, I certainly got that from talking to you. You also mentioned, oh, you mentioned something about you'd made arrangements for your own, was it that you made arrangements for your own cremation or your end of life? Something about funeral expenses so that your your family wouldn't have to pay for funeral expenses. Yeah, uh, donating my body to science so that then there's no funeral cost. Yes, yes, I remember that. You made arrangements to donate your body to science so that family wouldn't have to pay for funeral costs. And uh, hopefully all my vital organs will be good enough, at least my eyes, to transplant into people so that other people will have hopefully the gift of life or the gift of sight. Absolutely. It's a win-win. Right. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Clark. That's one of the things I love about you is, is how authentic you are and how you live frugality, but not frugality in a vacuum, frugality in the context of your personal priorities. Exactly. I got to tell you, you made a great impression on me and I'm glad I made a great impression on you. And we're both of like mind and being genuine is a currency that is so valuable and you're so lucky that that's who you are and that's what you have. And you got that brilliant mind of yours. So all that's going to serve you so well over time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. What are some of the key takeaways that we got from this interview? Here are four. Number one, we are social creatures. Our attitude and behaviors towards savings is very culturally influenced. The level of savings that we consider to be normal is highly influenced by the culture around us. If you look at other cultures, particularly in Asia, very common that people save a third of what they make, 50% of what they make. There's not government support for people who hit hard times in a lot of Asia. And so it's just built into the culture that you know for every equivalent of dollar you earn that you need to save 30 cents, 40 cents, 50 cents. And people just live that way. So how do we apply this knowledge to our lives, given that the majority of people who listen to this podcast live in the United States, which does not have norms that are heavily around saving? It does not have a culture of saving or a culture of debt aversion. How do we apply this knowledge? Well, you might have heard the quote by Jim Rohn that you become the average of the five people that you spend the most time around. You can influence the cultural forces that apply to your own personal life. 
So if you want to save more money, if you want to avoid debt, if you want to invest more or become entrepreneurial, surround yourself with people who encourage that mindset. That's why it's so important that FIRE become a thriving subculture. And that's why it's so important that we as a community interact with each other, both online and in the real world. This is where we have an opportunity to create a culture or a subculture around reaching financial independence. So that is key takeaway number one. Key takeaway number two. A bull market is irrelevant if you're not saving and investing. Most Americans save only three cents of each dollar they make. It doesn't matter how much the market goes up if you're putting no money aside to grow. There are many people who will downplay their own success by saying, well, you know, I mean, I got lucky because the markets were good. That's true, but that's not the only truth. That's kind of like playing soccer and scoring the goal that wins the game and saying, well, you know, I got lucky because at the moment that my teammate passed me the ball, I happened to be in exactly the right position and everybody on the field was in exactly the, the optimal position where I could kick that ball into the net. Yeah, that's true. But you were in the right position because you trained and you practiced. And at a minimum, you woke up that morning and put on a jersey and some shoes and got out there onto the field. So, yeah, that game-winning goal might have been luck to an extent, but that luck was predicated on the fact that you were in the game to begin with. And so key takeaway number two is get in the game. We have no idea what the markets are going to do in the future, but guess what? A bull run is not going to help you if you're not in the markets to begin with. And this applies both to index funds and real estate. This applies to any type of investment. This also applies to starting your own business and investing money back into your own business. All of those are examples of being in the game. So that's key takeaway number two. You can't win if you don't play. Key takeaway number three. Retire both early and often. And what I mean by that is don't get so caught up in the goal of early retirement or financial independence that you miss the fun and enjoyment and meaning that occurs throughout the journey. Even if you're not FI yet, travel now or take that wine tasting class or fly across the country to spend Thanksgiving with people that you love and people that are awesome. Don't defer your happiness and defer your experiences until a later date. I don't know anybody who's made happy by the possessions they have. But if you miss a lot of experiences that you would enjoy, maybe you've been too cheap with yourself. Mm -hmm. Because really, experiences over our lifetime are what we treasure, what we hold on to. You look at when people post their artificial version of their lives on Instagram or other social media, it's always experiences they're doing. Nobody's taking a picture of the new TV they bought and say, look what I got. You know, <laughs> what they're doing is look at this cool place I'm at, uh, look at this trip I'm on, whatever. It is experiences and time with people that creates the joy in our lives. You know, someone once emailed me and told me that they want to backpack through South America. They want to take some time off and go travel around, see Patagonia, experience all these cool things. But they keep getting caught up on the fact that if they took that same amount of money and invested it, then compounded over the next 40 years, it would come to a heck of a lot more. And so this idea that they're missing out on compounding gains 
is holding them back from backpacking around South America. And so they emailed me asking for my uh, my take on that, my advice. And I told them as politely as I could, dude, you're missing the point. All the compounded gains in the world are not going to do anything for you if you're 110 years old and physically unable to have the same types of experiences that you could have in your 30s or 40s or 50s. So sure, if the question is, should I buy this crazy flat screen TV or should I invest in the market? I think you can guess what I'm going to tell you the answer should be. By the way, do you like how in the example I say flat screen because I actually have no idea what the latest technology in TVs are? And so I'm clearly living like 15 years in the past where flat screen is the big thing. So if the question is, should I buy some fancy newfangled television or put money into the market or save that money for a down payment on a rental property? I think it's clear what that answer is going to be. But, but if the question is, my three best friends from college just invited me to spend a week with them in Italy. And I have the cash to do this. I wouldn't be going into any debt for it. And I'm adequately saving for retirement. I'm financially stable. Should I do it or should I get the additional compound interest? I mean, man, go to Italy. Have that experience. Go to Italy. Be with your friends. Create those memories. Because at the end of the day, that's all you ever are going to have. So that's key takeaway number three. And finally, key takeaway number four. Don't get so afraid of black swan events that you end up reverting to the status quo. People who are trying to adopt a lifestyle where they can move towards fire, Mm -hmm. I don't want them to get shut down by any of these details we just talked about. Don't worry so much about the what if. Of course, the things we just talked about are things somebody should do, but it's not the heart and soul of what the FIRE movement is about. It's about creating by your choices the ability for you to be financially independent. And so that's where I want your energy, your brain power, and your effort to go is towards the idea of living on substantially less than what you make so that you create the opportunity to then have to worry about all the paperwork kind of things. Yes, catastrophes happen, absolutely. But the normalized American pattern of going into consumer debt, saving 3% of your income, and woefully underpreparing for even a traditional retirement, that's not the solution to the possibility of a future calamity. Being in a very financially secure place in your life while simultaneously not indefinitely deferring your happiness and your experiences towards the future, that balance of retiring both early and often, that is the way to prepare for any eventuality. So those are four takeaways that we got from today's conversation with Clark Howard. If you'd like a written summary of these four takeaways, go to affordanything.com slash episode 158. That's affordanything.com slash episode 158. That's where you can get the show notes. And when you're there, leave your email address and we'll send you once a week the show notes for all of our upcoming episodes. By the way, also, when the now infamous Susie Orman episode came out, Clark immediately issued a response to it on his own syndicated radio show on The Clark Howard Show. 
he came out in support of the FIRE movement, and he talked about it on his show. So in our show notes at affordanything.com slash episode 158, we've included a link to that episode as well as the timestamp so you can listen to what Clark said on the Clark Howard Show about the FIRE movement. And don't forget, if you want to hear his personal story, his backstory, which is fascinating, head to episode 47. We'll also link to that in the show notes as well. A few notes. First of all, huge thank you to everybody who has left a review of this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever app that it is that you use to listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. We now have 979 ratings on iTunes, on the Apple Podcasts. Thank you. That is incredible. Please help us. If you haven't left a review yet, please help us get to 1,000. We have 979. We're so close. I would love to hit that four-figure mark as hopefully by as early as next week. So please, if you go to affordanything.com slash iTunes, that will redirect you to the page on the Apple Podcast website where you can leave a review or a rating. Number two, if you missed the announcement in last week's episode... I am thrilled to announce that we, the Afford Anything community, reached our goal of sponsoring a water project such as digging a well somewhere in the world. As of the time of this recording, we have raised $12,882 as a donation to Charity Water. And that money is enough. We we needed to break the $12,000 mark and we've done it. So that is enough money that we, Afford Anything, will be sponsoring a water project. That's enough money to build a well so that people in that community won't have to deal with the diseases that come from drinking dirty water like cholera and dysentery and diarrheal diseases. That's an incredible legacy that this podcast is leaving. So thank you so much to everybody who has donated. If you want to support the campaign, head to affordanything.com slash water where you can leave a donation or go to affordanything.com slash store. That's where you can buy a shirt and 100% of the profits from the sale of those shirts will be given directly to Charity Water. Coming up on future episodes of the Afford Anything podcast. Well, first, I'm afraid I have a little bit of bad news. Now, if you remember in a previous episode, I mentioned that I was going to be interviewing my good friend Patra. She and I met while we were traveling. We met back in 2009 in Indonesia. And as I mentioned on a previous episode, she supported herself from her investment portfolio while traveling the world for a dozen years. So I was really excited to be able to share that story with you. Beyond that, if you kind of take a a step upwards and zoom out a little bit, one of the things I was really trying to do with that is I'm trying to highlight stories of people who are not bloggers and not podcasters, people who are not publicly known. Because one of the criticisms that I sometimes hear about the FIRE movement is the question like, well, what, does everybody just reach FIRE and then start a blog? (laughs) No, but sampling bias might make you think that because By definition, the people who are public about it are the people whose stories we hear. And so one of my goals with this podcast is to bring to light the stories of people who are not public about it. One of the ways that we did that was in episode 139, I interviewed my good friend Kim. Now, Kim has not reached fire yet, but she is saving more than 50% of her income as a firefighter. So she earns a firefighter salary. She's a firefighter for the city of Austin, Texas, and she saves more than half her income. She's well on the path to fire. We featured her story in episode 139, and I was going to feature Patras as well, but she uh, has recently decided that she actually does not want to 
come out publicly with all of the details. So we uh, unfortunately, I know I promised you that that would be coming up on a future episode, but unfortunately, we will not be airing that. And that it kind of brings to light one of the inherent problems with trying to share the stories of people who are not public about their finances and their life is that people who are not public about it are often people who do not want to be public about it. They're people who value their privacy. And, uh, you know, even with my friend Kim in episode 139, you'll notice we didn't give Kim's last name. So there are many, many people who have reached fire who are doing super cool things. They're volunteering full time. They're rock climbing. They're surfing. They're leading these fascinating lives, but we don't hear about them because they're leading private lives. They're not blogging. They're not podcasting. So as much as possible, I'm going to continue trying to bring these stories out while also recognizing that sometimes people will record an interview and then they'll get cold feet and say, you know, I I don't think I want 30,000 people downloading an episode that has all of the details of my life and my money, which I can understand. So anyway, now that we've talked about what's not coming up on the Afford Anything podcast, what is going to be coming up? Well, this upcoming Friday is the first Friday of the month. It's the first Friday in November. So my friend Joe Saul Sihai and I, former financial planner Joe Saul Sihai, will be answering questions that come from you, the audience. And then after that, on Monday, I've got an interview with Jonathan and Brad from the Choose FI podcast about the paradox of FI. So all of that is coming up on the Afford Anything podcast. Make sure that you don't miss any of it by hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast player. So whether you're using Apple, Stitcher, Overcast, open up that app, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss any of our awesome upcoming shows. Thank you so much for being part of this community. My name is Paula Pant. I'm the host of the Afford Anything podcast. I'll catch you in the next episode. <laughs>